This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. They range in age from a three-week-old baby to a 94-year-old woman. I'm talking about the murder victims here in Toronto this year. This has set a new grim record for the number of homicides in a calendar year. A man shot to death in the East End yesterday is the city's 90th murder victim of 2018, breaking the old record of 89 set back in 1991. The alleged killers include family members, strangers, youth as young as 13 years old, and some perpetrators who are still unknown. But police chief Mark Saunders insists that most people in the city are safe. Most people, uh, by and large, when we look at 2.8 million people and, and, and the numbers, and we look at our crime stats involving firearms, the vast, vast majority of people are safe in this city. And, and I will always say that. Most of the shootings, by large, uh, are related and attributed to the street gang violence, uh, people that have a high-risk lifestyle. And I think in order for us to, uh, to look at what we need to do to fix that problem, it's going to have to be a collective effort if we're going to be successful. Well, do you buy that explanation? Uh, do you think maybe it's a little bit easy? Not that I want to lead the answer. The numbers to call, I want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now we go to Mike McCormack, President of the Toronto Police Association, and Ju Young Lee, Associate Professor of Sociology at U of T. Hello and welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's start with you, Mike McCormick. Uh, what are your thoughts on this record and also on, on the Chief's uh, reassurance there? Well, I mean, as somebody who lives in Toronto and, and works in the policing community, you know, uh, it's really disturbing to, to see this kind of homicide rate. When we look at other jurisdictions like New York and stuff like that, that have seen the lowest homicide rate since the Second World War. So, you know, uh, the chief's not wrong. There are a lot of different, and uh, we've talked about this before, like, lots of different variables and factors that impact uh, what's going on in the city. But one of the key components that I've seen a huge decrease in is the resources around policing. And we've been talking about this for over a year. And sure enough, this is where we're at. So, uh, again, you know, I, I keep looking to uh, the leaders in policing, community government, uh, for solutions, and it's time to have solutions to this problem. Uh, well, we have uh, another 200 police on the street uh, that was promised by the city. Is is that is that in place already, and is that making a difference? Uh, well, no, we don't have another 200 uh, officers on the street, actually. And, and what they did is, for a 12-week period, we, we tried that in the summer. We had the current officers we have uh, work additional overtime, so we never got an additional 200 officers. But what's more troubling is that, you know, some of the components, we're actually down. We've lost so far this year over 280 uniformed police officers. 
that's alone this year. We're going to have almost 300 gone by the end of the year that have not been replaced. And what suffers is community-based policing, proactive policing, which is where we get to the relationships within the community, where we start to foster that and be able to get the intelligence that we need to prevent this violence. And that's what we're lacking in policing right now. Okay, let's bring in Ju Young Lee. Hi there. Uh, what do you think of uh, the chief's assertion that really most people are safe? Uh, so, you know, the, the, it, that's the issue. I agree with the chief. I think that by and large, most people who live in Toronto and the GTA are safe. And one of the things to remember is that year-to-date statistics are are not very good indicators of how a city is doing or not doing, um, because they just take into account the total number of a certain kind of crime. They don't place that into a context. So if we look at the population in 1991 in, in Toronto, it was close to about 2.2 million. Uh, these days in 2018, it's closer to about 2.8 million, approaching 3 million. So we've seen almost a 25% increase in the sheer size of the population, um, which puts that number in a very different context. So, you know, as a social scientist, we look a lot more at rates instead of just uh, hard counts. And the rate, uh, if we look at Toronto compared to other even Canadian cities, it's still one of the safest cities. So Edmonton's homicide rate is around three and a half per 100,000. Winnipeg is close to about three per 100,000. And Toronto is about 1.4 per 100,000. So, and that's, by the way, that's below the Canadian average. So I do agree that that Toronto is safe, but, you know, at the same time, I think anytime we have even a single murder in a city, we should be trying to collectively come up with solutions. Uh, here's my take on this. I think that what makes this year scarier, probably, is that to me there seems to be an increase in very random things. I mean, it's one thing, you know, the chief, I'm sure, is right when he said most of it is gang-related violence. And so generally, we walk around thinking, well, if we're not involved with gangs, and if we don't have the misfortune of living in those neighborhoods, as many people do, we're okay. But this year, that we had the van attack, we had the shooting on the Danforth. These are random attacks in places that most of us believed we're safe. Uh, yeah. Let's start with you, Dr. Lee. Yeah, no, and I think that's one of the things that's got people talking. So the van attack, um, you know, 10 people were killed in that horrific tragedy, and that's an event that will throw off the count. It will it will add to the total by year's end. Um, and that's sort of, a, you know, an unusual event that won't always happen. We the hope. I hope. Yes, exactly. The one thing I will say is that, um, you know, the feeling that you, me, many other people have as we reflect on these events that happen in very, quote unquote, ostensibly safe places, this is something that folks experience on a daily basis in some of the more more disadvantaged neighborhoods in Toronto. Um, A lot of times people are simply in the wrong place at the wrong time in these communities. And, you know, the vast majority of people who live in places where violence is concentrated are also law-abiding. So I hope that this this kind of moment will, will inspire lots of Torontonians to want to work together to solve this problem. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, can uh, an additional police presence do anything about that randomness? 
Well, uh, 100% again, and having a police presence, and we know that a proactive policing presence has an impact on safe communities and overall crime. But I, I want to go back to the point that the chief said, well, look, you know, this isn't happening unless you're part of the drug. I don't think that's very consoling to the, the, the family that had their children shot in a playground or that people are firing these uh, firearms off in bars, in public neighborhoods. And, you know, it kind of, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't kind of, I totally agree that when we talk, oh, yeah, in certain communities, this is happening more than others, uh, and that that should be diminished. I say, well, it's only happening in these communities or with this group. It's affecting all of us who live in the city of Toronto. And the other thing I want to talk about just really quickly is when we talk about the growth of the population in Toronto, we have seen the police force in the, or the service in the same time shrink 20%. And we've seen shooting victims, and it's not just year over year and comparing our year-to-year comparison, but since 2014, we have seen a 145% increase in shooting victims. So the, the acts are more brazen, more random, and this is something that we all need to be concerned about. There's some long-term fixes. We've got to look, deal with the socioeconomic, the education, the opportunity programs. But this is a policing problem as well. And it seems like the chief and others don't want to talk about the policing problem that we're having right now. Well, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've been talking about uh, the people who, unfortunately, who are law-abiding citizens who live in the neighborhoods where this gang violence is, is concentrated. And, and again, Mike, other than more of a police presence, I mean, a lot of people talk about attacking the root causes. I mean, every time you turn around, there seemed to be another program and the problem isn't being solved. Yeah, and again, these are programs that require long-term sustainable efforts and a financial commitment from all levels of government. So that is something, and and I've been a a huge proponent of community-based policing and community action. It's got to be a grassroots. It's got to be something that has to be tackled with a sustainable program. If people do not have value in their lives and do not value the lives of others, we will continually go down this path. So there's something that we need to do around that. And, I, and, you know, working in Regent Park, where I spent most of my career, there are some really effective community programs that we need to endorse. But in the meantime, we have to do it from a triage point of view, have the police and get the intelligence, get the people with guns off the street. When we're having 90 homicides and people can say, well, it's, you know, an anomaly or uh, I think it was whatever they call blip or whatever. This is no longer a blip when we've seen a steady increase in the amount of shootings, the amount of gunplay that we said, and I think that I do not want to see us become like cities in the states where we become immune or say it's okay. Like, what number's okay? Uh, well, should we be able to see, Mike? I know we have to wrap up with you uh, pretty quickly. I mean, what kind of a percentage decrease would you be looking for? Well, you know what? We always aim for the top. We'd like to, to see zero homicides, you know, uh, like, and when we talk about homicides, you know, the, the brazen shootings and stuff like that, I'd like to see at least, uh, a, a significant decrease Not numerically. I don't know, but I'd, any decrease would be on the right step. But when, you know, uh, as you were both saying, when we separate the van attack out from that and, and other ones, let's look at the violence that's occurring on our streets, the shootings. We need to see a significant decrease in that. And, you know... Other than that, I don't think it's acceptable to us in the policing community or as a citizen who lives in the city to continue on this path. Okay, uh, Mike McCormick with the Toronto Police Association. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We continue with uh, Ju Young Lee. Thank you, Mike.
Thanks for having me. And uh, I just want to give the numbers out again. Uh, I'm curious about whether uh, people agree with the chief. Do you feel safe uh, despite the increase in the numbers of guns? We're talking to Dr. Young Lee, who has pointed out that at the same time, there's a big been a big increase in the population, so the rate of murders isn't that bad. From from my point of view, I think that some of the uh, random nature of these attacks uh, happening in areas that are, quote, considered safe, uh, you know, really makes them a lot scarier. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Forty and uh, Doctor Lee again. Uh, back to this business of uh, the randomness. Uh, do you agree that a solution to that is more cops on the street? Well, can I just answer one quick thing that came up uh, previously, and then I'll answer that one. Sure. Um, so I, I don't want to give the impression that I think that the number isn't bad. I mean, I, I think any time even a single person is injured, let alone killed, that it's a bad thing. Um, I just think that sometimes when, you know, the media report on these events, there, there's a little bit of context that's lost. And so I just wanted to provide that. But I do think that policing is part of the pro- part of the solution. Um, a- as Mike McCormick was pointing out, uh, th- this is a thing that requires a pretty comprehensive approach. It's, it's a- addressing the root causes, as you mentioned, addressing wealth inequality in Toronto. Um, it's addressing uh, racial disparities and college graduation and access to the labor market. You know, that those are issues that affect certain Canadians more than others. Um, it's, a, it's attacking a lot of different things. And so, you know, policing, at, especially at the community level, is very important, as Mike McCormick was pointing out, because it does give officers a chance to develop trust and rapport with community members, which is so vital when it comes to solving crimes and solving shootings. So that's part of it. But I think another big part of it is really addressing these root causes. And sometimes what happens is policymakers will you know, put money into a program for a while, and then after a year or six months, they'll stop funding it. But this is, again, a long-term sustainable thing that has to happen. Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Ishmael in Etobicoke. Hello there. Hi. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. Um, everybody is uh, talking about lack of policing in the community, but I think that we have enough police. We have police at all construction sites with vehicles doing, you know, standing there. Oh, those are off-duty cops making money directing the traffic. Yeah, but um, <laughs> is there somebody that can do that and we can save this police for other, other things that we need to get done? Uh, you know, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> haven't seen it happen. I thought that was supposed to be happening. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I passed, I passed quite a few of them on my commute to work, which took three times as long as normal. But that's very off topic. So uh, are you worried about the increase in, in the number of murders? Do you feel unsafe, Ishmael? Yeah, and another thing, like... Um, young offender, offenders that are below the age, I don't know, I can't see the reason why they are not exposed to committees that people can know them. They are protected by the state. They can do their crime. They can do whatever they want to do, and they're, they're protected by the, by the system. And I- that shouldn't be, because if they are exposed and they reveal, that can be a hindrance, that, that can put a, a deterrence to, the, to what they're doing. 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure that that is uh, even on the table. I don't. I, that's probably a non-starter, but a lot of people agree with that, I guess. And sometimes young offenders are tried as adults. Uh, Dr. Lee, do you have a view on that? I mean, I think one of the big things that we have to talk about when it comes to young offenders is the, you know, mentoring programs in these communities. So there are many different programs that are out there already doing great work. And if you talk to people who run these community-based programs, they're always trying to fundraise. Um, They shouldn't have to go through the kind of hoops they have to go through just to be able to keep the lights on. These are programs where people from the community take a hand in, you know, helping young people who may be at risk of joining a gang or picking up a gun. And, you know, these kinds of programs, I think, sometimes don't get the kind of financial support that they need in order to sustain themselves. So I think, you know, young offenders, we know that that they're the most at risk of committing serious crime. It's it's the time in the life course when people are very impressionable. Um, And so that's why, you know, Mentoring programs across the states in communities that have high risk for gun violence have really worked. Okay, Ishmael, thanks for your call. Let's go to Bob in Etobicoke. Hello, how are you? Fine, how are you? Uh, my, um, like I agree that there is an awful lot of gun violence in the city. And if you speak, and, and I, you know, as you know, I phone in all the time. And my view is um, the, the cause, main cause, or if we want to make the, we have to return to carding. And if you ask any cop, they will tell you that. Well, not they, any cop, but some cops. Well, uh, so. yeah, they'll agree. The other thing is young offenders. Young offenders, um, anybody who's, I would say young offenders, they, because people are more mature now at an earlier age, maybe it should be dropped down to 16 rather than 18 so that they are more responsible. I don't. I don't know what you mean by by more mature. The on the other side, I, there are a lot of uh, psychologists who say um, adolescence now lasts until the age of twenty four. I don't know. Maybe physically more mature, but certainly not uh, mentally well, then, or emotionally. No. Well, <clears throat> certain things should be restricted from people who are not mature. That means that if you want to be able to, you, you go and you apply to be an adult, okay? So they, you go and pass a test, just like a driving license. You say, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you fend for yourself? That kind of stuff. So that you're, you, maybe you don't want to be deemed a young offender. You, maybe you want to be able to stay out after 10 o'clock at night, where if you don't go and pass the test, you can't. We used to have a, a siren that went off here at 9 o'clock at night, and kids, if they were caught out, they were taken home by the police to their house, and the parents were saying, I think Why that was a few years ago, night? Bob. <laughs> I know that. And maybe we need more discipline in life today. Well, yeah, a lot of people feel you that. Know. Okay, Bob, uh, thanks okay. for your call. Bye. bye, bye. bye. Okay, uh, we are uh, running out of time on this topic. Uh, Ju Young Lee, uh, what would you like to leave us with? A lot of people uh, kind of seem to be looking back to the good old days. Yeah, and I think that there's always a little bit of nostalgia whenever people talk about, you know, what needs to happen next. Um, 
I think the main thing is that whenever we talk about solutions, and I, when I say we, I mean just people in general in the media, there's a tendency to think that there's a magic cure, that there's one thing we can do that will suddenly magically change everything, and that's simply not the case. The solution is a very comprehensive one. It's going to involve you know, lots of different money and support from different levels of government across the board, and my hope is that the, the kind of community-based programming is not lost in all of that. Okay. Thanks so much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.